Good evening and thank you for joining us for part three of episode six where we're going to be looking at the lost sheep uh, and our long line of parables that we're looking at from Jesus' teachings. Uh, So if you will go ahead and turn over to the book of Luke, we're going to be looking at chapter 15 and it's going to be verses one through seven uh, as I hope that uh, you're ready to really dig in deep for uh, the parable of the lost sheep and also a little bit of the lost coin and uh, really seeing what Jesus has to tell us uh, in this incredible story, and this is what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons that do not need to repent. I thought it was interesting that uh, there's a commentary that goes perfectly along with this uh, from writer M.T. Wright. Uh, And this is actually what he says in response to the parable of the lost sheep and coin. He says, in the stories of the sheep and the coin, the punchline in each case depends on the Jewish belief that the two halves of God's creation, heaven and earth, were meant to fit together and be in harmony with each other. If you discover what's going on in heaven, you'll discover how things were meant to be on earth. That, after all, is the point of praying that God's kingdom will come as it is in heaven. The interesting thing, as far as the legal experts and Pharisees were concerned, the closest you could get to heaven was the temple. But the temple required strict purity from the priest, and the closest that non-priests could get to copying heaven was to maintain the same act, strict purity in every aspect of life. But now Jesus was declaring that heaven was having a great noisy party every time a single sinner saw the light and began to follow God's way. If earth dwellers wanted to copy the life of heaven, they'd have a party too, and that's what Jesus was doing. And I think, as N.T. Wright mentioned, it's, it's interesting to think that, uh, in his view, uh, heaven is a big noisy party uh, as opposed to a bunch of strict uh, keeping of the rules. Um, this is how Romans 3.11 says it, that Scripture says that no one seeks God because he came and pursues us. Um, I want you to think back, uh, if you're a believer, to the first time you came to Christ. Um, looking back, can you see him drawing you to him? And maybe who did he use in your life to show his love to you? Um, That's really why Luke 15 is such an incredible chapter, that this parable in many ways reveals the heart of God, uh, but it also acts as a mirror to us and reveals our intentions as well, and we need to treat it as such. That the context of the story uh, really cannot depart from Luke chapter 14. Really the context of this parable is counting the cost of discipleship, that he goes through these incredible stories about that you have to really pay it all for Christ, and then those who have ears let them hear, and then he goes into the parable of the lost sheep. But the interesting thing is that the Pharisees are found on the outside of the crowd in this story, that the crowd directly surrounding Jesus uh, hearing this parable would have been the sinners and the tax collectors, as they're really the main audience. Um, It's important to mention that the Jews hated sinners and tax collectors. Jews despised tax collectors because they over-collected taxes for Caesar, 
uh, a.k.a. the Roman Emperor, and were considered as traitors or thieves. And tax collectors also chilled with the sinners because they really couldn't be socially accepted in any other group. The religious simply, in this story, doesn't hang with this crowd. They're on the margin, and this is important in the story. That in contrast to the religious leaders, Jesus loves the sinners and often seems to really value time with them. And in response, they hold on to every word he says with this story. The religious people in this story we don't like because they're complaining, they're muttering, and they're on the out. Uh, but remember Jesus said that the sick needed a doctor, not the well. And we don't see that play out any better than in this story. Uh, the sinners knew they needed Jesus, uh, but the religious leaders did not acknowledge their need for Jesus because they were self-righteous. And we too have to be careful not to become the same way. But the Pharisees do get a bad rap. And this is a little bit of their tradition that we have to understand that according to the Pharisee, it would have been an offense to be in the presence of the sinner or what they would have called in their language the people of the land. In their mind, there were two kinds of people. There were the people of God or the kingdom people and the people of the land, which were the worldly people or the, the sinful people. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we maybe segregate people in our mind? That do we separate them into religious and non-religious or into saved and unsaved? Because do you know a purely religious person? Maybe scary, do they complain, do they mutter, are they critical, are they judgmental? I really think that the heart of this story is really Jesus is calling us out of being religious and calling us into honesty. He's looking for people who are transparent, and he's looking for people who will acknowledge that they need him. That Jesus teaches these parables to combat the thinking, of course, of the religious leaders, that they're really in the crosshairs of his story, and the purpose is to reveal the religious leaders' hearts don't match God's heart. But let's talk about shepherds for a minute, as it's really uh, the central piece of this story, that um, we maybe sometimes think of shepherds' work as being cute, or that they're they're, they're furry animals, or that we just kind of hang out in the field and hope one of them doesn't disappear. Um, but really, that's the furthest thing from the truth, that shepherds' work, first of all, was dangerous work. That native to Israeli pastures is bears and wolves. Um, we think back to King David, uh, that before he got famous and slayed Goliath, that he actually uh, killed a mountain lion uh, in the book of Samuel with his bare hands. Um, but despite danger, shepherds were experts at finding sheep, and they were expert at warding off dangers. Uh, but the interesting thing about the story is that cost, after the one sheep who disappears and forsaking the 99, it's a costly search because it would have been filled with danger. Um, it also would have been filled also uh, with additional danger because while you're out looking for the one, maybe one of your 99 could also disappear. Uh, but Jesus, really with this analogy, is backing the religious leaders into uh, a proverbial corner because he knew that by asking some questions, the answer must be yes or no. Uh, of course, in their culture, shepherds would have left for any lost sheep, uh, and rejoicing would always happen when a lost sheep returns back to the fold and back to the family. Um, in other words, the kingdom of God throws a huge party when one of the lost ones returns to God. So this is maybe some of the questions that Jesus was really after. 
The question is, should we neglect any lost ones of our world? For instance, the tax collectors or the sinners? And the obvious answer is no. And so our answer also must be no, uh, because we're to care for the lost of the world. Uh, I think uh, that some great pictures of this are maybe the early Methodist movement, or even some Catholic movements, uh, or even, say, uh, the Salvation Army, who naturally cares for the homeless, the marginalized, and the poor. Uh, but those are just a few to name, as there's many others out there who do incredible work. But once a lost sheep is found, heaven rejoices. And we really can't miss this picture, because in the same way that the shepherds rejoiced, we too are to rejoice. The joy, in fact, is so great that it has to be shared with somebody else. Uh, this is what I call evangelism on the edge of your seat. Um, it cannot wait to get told. Um, the reality is maybe heaven is a little bit more of like a laid-back party, uh, not an uptight religious meeting. Um, the question is maybe how would you describe your life? Is it an uptight set of rules that you have to keep every day, and if you screw up, then you beat yourself up? Or is it a celebration filled with joy and grace? Because heaven loves sinners being found. The story reveals the gap between God's heart and the Pharisee's heart. And the Pharisees would say something like this, that sinners, if they don't know God and they go to hell, they're getting what they deserve. That sinners know joy vice versa, because they know that they've been found, especially because they know they don't deserve it or they haven't earned it. Uh, that's why many of us, whenever we find Jesus for the first time, cannot wait to tell somebody else because we know we don't deserve it. So really, what's the application of this story today? I think the first rule of the parable of the lost sheep is that God is kinder than man, and thank goodness he is, right? That God doesn't give us what we deserve, that he gives grace and not punishment, that he seeks the sinner, because we have an incredible God, right? I think the second rule we have to look at is that we have to have a healthy view of sinners. I think the reality is it's easy to say, oh, I would never be like a Pharisee, but I think it's easier to be one than we realize. Uh, many of us maybe in our tribes or churches or ministries might say something like this, well, you need to clean up your act first, and then you can be a part of us. You know, your hair, your clothes, your lifestyle, you fill in the blank, need to look like us, and then you can come back and we'll accept you. Be like us, the righteous, and then you can be with us. The reality is when we have talks like that or arguments like that, we can become a modern-day Pharisee. And really, Jesus cautions us from doing that because we miss out on the joy and the celebration of heaven. And the third application we need to see is that we need to seek the lost actively. That there are sinners in every one of our cities who have ears to hear the gospel. I want you to hear this part, that the unbeliever is not the enemy. Satan is the enemy, and we have to keep that straight at all times. We're to love people. God has to empower us to do this. And God can change our heart to sacrifice it all for the kingdom. The founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, once said it like this, that some would like to live their lives within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I would rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. In other words, Lord, please let me be on the front line. That's where I want to be. And we have to pray that God would give us the eyes of God to see this. So just a few questions to ask ourselves in response to this. 
that I want you to picture the scene in which Jesus shared this parable. That the sinners and the tax collectors seem to be lined up on one side, the scribes and the Pharisees on the other, kind of reminiscent of a showdown. The, the New International Version says that the Pharisees muttered under their breath. So why would it be an affront for them for Jesus to welcome tax collectors and sinners? I think another question we have to ask ourselves is who are the sinners outside the acceptable boundaries that you don't think Jesus should be hanging out with? And the reality is, are we neglecting those people? In the parable, the finding of the sheep results in a shared celebration with friends and neighbors. Uh, But when Jesus explains the parable, what does he say is the source of celebration? And how does this parable take into view God's welcoming sinners on a whole new level? And maybe in our tribes and cultures, we can do that too, that we can welcome sinners maybe on a new level that we haven't thought about before. And now let's find our story and God's story. If you had been present for the original telling of the story, kind of in the circles around Jesus, which side would you have been on? Would you have been on the side of the sinners and the tax collectors? Or would you have been on the side of the scribes and the Pharisees? And lastly, what does this story say about what God is willing to do? I mean, the fact that he's willing to leave the 99 to go rescue the one, think about in all the ways he's pursued you over the past week or even your lifetime. Uh, What would you do with this new understanding that God will risk it all to be with you? Um, And I think the last thing we have to ask is maybe the hardest question of all is how do we relate to the Pharisees in this parable? Uh, Whom or maybe who have we been unwilling to welcome or pursue? And I think we have to ask God to open us up to a, a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, a new way of doing things. And so I hope that uh, investigating this parable of the lost sheep uh, has been helpful. I know that um, just speaking very quickly on parable of the lost coin is we see a woman cleaning her house. And I think uh, whenever we look at this story, we can think, oh, well, she found the coin. Good for her. Let's move on to the next one. But the reality is it wouldn't have been so easy to find a coin that one, they didn't have electricity or lights to look for a coin, and two, their floors would have been made from overlapping reeds. And the thought was, at least in Jewish culture with this story, that the coin had fallen in between the overlapping reeds. So really the thought is that the woman would have had to totally wreck her entire home just to find the one coin, and then she finds it, and she's thrilled that she found it. And I think that... And similarly, God will literally wreck whatever he has to to pursue us, to get our attention, to find us, because he wants to be with us and wants us to experience the celebration of heaven. So may you today, in whatever context, find the celebration of heaven in your own life uh, so that you too can rejoice with him. God bless you this evening. Have a great night.